Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. And so Gail is asking a question. Hi, Gail. Gail's uh, up in the in the last frontier in Alaska doing VR. And she's asking, are you going to schools? Are they coming to you or both? So nothing's easy, but we are constantly marketing to schools. Sometimes we're fortunate in that they come to us, but more often than not, we have a twice weekly email that goes out that goes to 50,000 educators across the U.S. And then we do some marketing on Facebook uh, and we go to shows. So we are working very hard to sell our content directly to schools. And, and um, we have a partnership with HP. So they sell to schools on our behalf. Um, Joanna. So, and yeah, Joanna. We love Joanna and Dan. So, yeah, that's how it works right now. And, and we also have relationships with some other tech companies like Microsoft, et cetera. And I think, Gail, you know, I think what she was asking about is like physically, like, do you take the lessons into the schools or and or do you have school groups coming into your facility? You know, so the answer to both of those is yes, but it's really not a major driver because, you know, we don't have a national sales force. Now with the Quest, we're going to be able to ship it in for them to try it and have it shipped back. So so that is a value to us as a sales tool. When I travel and I travel a lot, I'm always checking with our sales team to see, you know, who's in this area and who should I drop into a demo with? And so I do those demos and, and our one and only salesperson does as well. But it's just two people covering all the United States and yeah. not many people are coming to Davenport, Iowa. So for the most part, you have to do it at shows. But what about in the local community? You've got schools there, right? So how are they using your stuff and how are you inter- interacting with the local school community? Pretty much everybody in the local school community has our product in their classrooms because as, exactly as you know, they can come in and see it here. We can go and show it to them. And so they're all working with it. And it's interesting. Most of them have it in a science classroom or like a STEM lab. That is the greatest adoption. But we've recently sold, you know, Oculus Go is only 12 months old. And so we sold a lot of Oculus Goes in bundles into classrooms. And so we just finally got those deployed here. And it's a slow process because right now most of this is going through grants. So people are filling out grant applications. That takes, you know, six months and they have to place the order. And it's a slow sales process. But one-to-one in the classroom is here. It's here in a big way. And we think that the station base for like dissection simulation is going to be a big deal. But then also for our, our virtual field trips and some other activities, the one-to-one is uh, going to also be a big deal. Yeah, interesting. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about, oh, there's a bunch of questions coming in before we move off of this and move into esports. And so Timothy's at, Tim's asking about the partnerships with other LBVR companies in cities that run experience in their community. Like, So I think you're planning on figuring this out and then offering this up like the training and the education to other VR arcades so they can either distribute your content or demonstrate your content. Like, I think that sounds like your go-to-market strategy, right? Yeah, that's right. Right now we're working in you know, early days. LBEs have been uh, touching bases with us. And so we are working out deals with them. We're probably going to put everybody onto our uh, subscription platform and so it's a very affordable way to um, access our content. So that's that's number one. Number two, 
we do believe that um, there's a lot of opportunity for LBEs to be resellers in their local communities to schools. And we have a reseller agreement that's fairly generous. And so, you know, to the extent that you're an LBE owner and you want to have a, a summer education session, then you want to sell a one-to-one group of headsets into a school, we can be helpful there as well. So Gail, reach out to Steve on LinkedIn or or however, but she's up, yeah, she's up in Anchorage. And, and I think, you know, she's been trying to figure out the, she's met with Bill Tustin and trying to figure out the whole education piece. And and one of her questions, which I think is an interesting one, because it goes to a mindset of entrepreneurs, is she's asking about, is it challenging being the middleman to sell a package to a school when they could just go buy the headsets themselves? Are you marking up the headset or are you just passing it through and, and making money on the software? What's your thinking there? Yeah, so our headsets are just passed through primarily. Yep. You know, there's a small upcharge for shipping and that kind of thing, but that mostly passed through. The big opportunity for those that want to be resellers is, look, there are 100,000 school buildings in the United States, you know, so, you know, a million plus classrooms. Of those, 100 have our content. So this is a huge green space for people. And if you are the middleman between us and that school, then you get recurring revenue for as long as they are on our subscription platform. Yeah. If we get to them first and that ain't likely, then we will get the subscription. We get 100% of the revenue. So it's a lot better deal. And I would say if anybody has an interest, go to victoryxr.com and just uh, hit us up on the um, on the form that's on there. Yeah. And I'll make sure that that's in the notes on the replay. And, and Jorge, you're asking, no, Oculus doesn't give discounts to anybody for volume. You're not going to make money selling hardware in this business. There's no margin in consumer electronics. There's no margin in computers. If you want to build them yourself and mark them up, you could probably do that. But you're talking about, you know, really small, non-meaningful incremental margin. And so you need to figure out, and, and, and I would think that in the community, building a VR arcade, it's a community business. If you go back to the 70s and the first arcades, they were community centers. They were places where teenagers would go and hang out. And the arcade owner was a mentor to the kids, or at least in my experience, before it got professionalized and moved into malls and Aladdin's castle and these big chains taking over. And I really believe that to be successful in the VR arcade business, you have to be a community-based business, which means you need to have tendrils out into all the different places of the community, the police department, the fire department, the school. How do you get your relationships with the schools is offer them something of value, offer them education content, and then the kids will get to know you and they'll come and they'll play in your place on the weekends and it'll build your casual business. And and so how are you seeing that? Are you seeing that network effect at all within your local community in Davenport? And is the education stuff building awareness for the entertainment stuff and vice versa? So um, two things on that. One, what's interesting is we hire a lot of 20-something males, willing to hire females, but mostly we have male applicants since it's uh, gaming. And they're very good at working with the kids and building that community. They're not very good at some of the things that adults do, like cleaning the bathrooms well and that kind of thing. So that's a constant challenge is just make sure they go through their checklist on those things. But they do a really great job of building community exactly like you're talking about, especially with the esports piece. So that's number one. Number two, you know, we, we got hit by a flood, so we were closed down for four weeks. We just reopened, so our summer plans are delayed. But we are trying to get launched in July, our summer school session. And in our summer school, kids will be able to come in, go through our NGSS science, 
in VR. And then also they can get time with our guys there learning how to code VR games through Unity and, and learn some C Sharp and get the basics of coding. So, you know, that creates, again, another source of revenue, but also helps to build that community among families and parents and educators and kids. And uh, if we can get caught back up, we'll uh, we'll get that going in July. Yeah, and that's awesome. And that's one of the big lessons is you can't just like build a bunch of booths, open the doors and expect to make money. Like you got to work the community. You got to work the angles. You got to build the revenue streams, build the different business pillars. And like anything, you know, anything in business is you got to work it hard. And you're doing a great example of that. So let's talk about esports because that's the other kind of pillar of your business. And you've done some really interesting things. So you've got a hundred seat arena. What does that mean? So we built this really cool arena that there are no seats. It's just like a hangout space and it's tiered. So there's like uh, four levels. So you can just come sit, you can hang out, you can lay down, whatever the case is. So we have room for a hundred people to to sit. And then they're looking down onto where the competitors are competing. So we have uh, room for 12 computers set up where they're competing in like Overwatch or League of Legends or fighting games. And that's how the arena works. And so people come, they just hang out, they're buying food, they're buying drink, they pay a a small fee to compete every Saturday. And then on Friday nights, they pay a small fee just to hang out and challenge each other in fighting games. And it's a place that, you know, we get 40 to 50 kids every Friday night just coming and hanging out and playing against each other. And what do you charge for entry for that? So uh, five bucks to, uh, to enter that. And then, you know, the model is... I'd like to get to a point where I charge nothing and, and, you know, maybe I should get to that point. The model is then to upsell to uh, VR gaming and as well to sell food and drink and concessions. But right now we're charging $5. And so how are you seeing the interaction between the esports and VR? Are you getting that cross pollinization and crossover? And like, do you have a conversion rate? You, you track this shit. So you probably know, like what's your conversion rate and, and what's your per cap revenue on VR for people coming in for esports? Cause it's a question is like, is esports a thing? Where does it fit? Like, how do I yeah. monetize it? Well, there's a big overlap in those two uh, Venn circles in that it's the same universe of kids. And I think, you know, our belief is that esports will quickly move into VR over the next two to three years. So we really measure it by how many esport competitors we can buy, get to buy the all day pass. And we see about 10 to 20% buying that all day pass. So, you know, if you get 50 competitors and you're getting five to 10 buying that all day pass and and we're trying to increase that. But um, I see someone saying 100 rigs is a lot of investment. I just wanted to, we don't have yeah. 100 rigs. We just have 100 seats in the arena. Yeah, cool. Now, I know you did a thing with a local university too, right? So a lot of universities are creating esports programs. Some are doing scholarships now. You did a deal with a local university to offer internships and to get the kids in. And obviously, labor is the labor and rent and marketing are the three big costs for any facility like this. Talk about what you did there and how's it worked out and what are the advantages and challenges? I'll add one more cost. That's your build-out cost. So what we did with St. Ambrose University, they they bought the naming rights to our facility. So it's the St. Ambrose Bees Fighting Bees Arena, St. Ambrose University Fighting Bees Arena. And so they also provide us, as well as others, we have uh, unpaid internships in esports where kids will come down for two to four hours on a Saturday and help with the esports tournaments. In return, they get experience running a tournament. 
And then they can go out into the world and, and have some, not only something on their resume, but they can also list us as a reference. Uh, and they have fun. I mean, if you're going to do an internship, you can go like work at the manufacturing facility or you can go run esports tournaments. So um, it's a win-win. And for us, you know, labor's, if we did not have unpaid interns, I'm not sure that uh, we, we'd be deeper in the hole uh, than we could probably deal with. Yeah, interesting. Now, something I did recently, I went up to um, VR Studios and they are promoting their Power Play free roam thing as an esports platform. And the demo that I did, the guy that was the game master was actually a shoutcaster. And for those of you who don't know esports, shoutcaster is kind of the play by play guy in esports. That's what they call them. And, and it changed the experience for me. Like I did it, like it was, it transcended it into me feeling like I was a freaking athlete. It was amazing. And, and so how big a part of your esports is shout casting and do you always do it? And for people who aren't doing it, like, how do you learn it and get into it? Yeah, it's interesting. We um, call it Twitch caster, but uh, yeah, shout caster. Exactly. And we have people that come in and try it. We generally have two people. We have an entire setup in the arena just for two people. You've got your color guy and your play-by-play guy. And those are yep. generally volunteers. We're not paying them and they have fun with it, but it's a lot of hours. I mean, it's an all-day tournament. You know, the, the tournaments generally are going to run six to eight hours long, but um, we don't seem to lack people who are interested in trying that. And um, the ones who are better get asked back and um, it's a big part of it. Now, you know, I've learned so much and we've learned so much. You know, there's a lot of hype in esports that isn't necessarily true. There's a lot of money in esports, but it's not, it can be very difficult to find. A lot of people watch Twitch, but when we broadcast one of our tournaments, you know, we're going to have 25 to 200, let's say, people that are watching our tournament. So it's not like, Thousands of people are going to tune in and watch because you've got some pretty good players. Now we're hoping that we've got a big tournament in uh, near the end of July, and we, we're flying in uh, five pros. So the pros are coming in, and they have bigger followings, and so we'll sort of see how well we do with that. But that's a, uh, a fighting games tournament, Smash, Tekken, that kind of thing. Yeah, and in the hype, you know, I know there's a ton of hype around esports, and people are trying to figure out. You know, how do you make money in esports from a location based standpoint? And, you know, and I know you're experimenting, but, you know, just give me your thoughts on where esports fits into the location based entertainment model and why would somebody do it or why should they not do it? Like, what's your view? You've been doing it a while. Yeah. And we've done some things that worked really well and we've really done some things that sucked. For the most part, you have to think about a couple of things. One, People who play esports, this is not a demographic with a lot of money. These are mostly teenagers and 20-somethings. And so it's it's not like they're rolling in and buying, you know, it's not like the airport where they have the, you know, the the perfumes and furs and, you know, jewelry. You know, you're trying to get them to buy a $10 t-shirt that uh, has, you know, something cool on it. So that's the first thing. But for the most part, what it brings to the table is if you have an LBE or any other facility, what you need is traffic. Now, there are some people who are fortunate enough that they don't need more traffic, but most people just need traffic. And traffic, whether they're spending five bucks or 50 bucks, is of value for a lot of different reasons. One, it leads to social media awareness. Two, they're going to spend something. Three, sometimes they bring along you know, significant others or parents. So that's really what we find is the asset to it. And 
it's a space that has multi-purpose. We can use it for videos, movies, corporate training. We can use it as our DJ space. So having a little 100-seat space like that can be used in a lot of different ways, and eSports is just one of those. And, and we're the only gig in town for an eSports arena. Yeah, and what are the dimensions of the physical space? How big is it? How high is it? Because I know you got tiers. Yeah, you know what, Bob? I should know the answer to that, and I don't. I think it's about, it's roughly, the seating area is about 600 square feet as well, I think, because it's okay. about the same size as a roaming arena. All right. And what was your build-out cost for this whole thing? Because I think that was a question that came in early. Is like, what because you've got 6,000 square feet, multiple types of you know experiences within it. What did it cost to build it, can you say? We spent, this is both on equipment and build-out, about 400000 Okay. So not, not crazy, but nothing either. Yeah, so. yeah. And one of the things I know is you're, you, so you're doing the esports thing on the weekends. A lot of people think that they can drive traffic on the weekends by running competitions and tournaments. And I feel like that's kind of swimming upstream. And I think in business, you have to swim downstream. And you have to play up people's propensity to want to be entertained on the weekends. Getting them to come out on the weekdays is hard or at weeknights. What are you finding there? And do you have any tricks that you can share if it's working? Well, yeah, I, I can say this. Um, well, so first of all, you know, we've done some things that like are the first, you know, we're in Iowa, but we're doing a lot of things that are first in the nation. You know, we set up a local like rec league in uh, League of Legends. So like Northwest Bank was playing U.S. Bank. And, you know, so we found sponsors for these teams and they wore the you know, the U.S. Bank jersey and that type of thing. That worked okay, but it didn't really bring in a lot of people to watch. And so we have not started a second season on that. We fulfilled our first two seasons uh, to our sponsors and didn't move on to a, a new season. But, you know, this is why we're building community. We know that like Magic the Gathering, Magic the Card Game, that has a pretty good history of having people who gather on weeknights as does, um, you know, tabletop RPG. Yeah. And we know that we go to church on Wednesday nights. So these are the things that we are working off of to try to build these three new communities over the next three to six months. I think you're onto something. I think that notion of building community and driving your off-peak hours, because that's how you motivate an audience, right? They've got to get motivated to change their behavior. And if their behavior on a Tuesday night is to sit on the couch and watch Netflix you got to have something deeper and more meaningful for them to get off the couch and connecting with like minds and people is a lot more meaningful than money. So there's four levels of commitment. Matt Church, who runs Thought Leaders Business School, talks about this. The lowest level of commitment is money. And so discounting your thing to get people to change their behavior to come on the weekdays is actually the lowest thing. The highest level of commitment is identity. And so what you're doing is you're tapping into people's identity to motivate them to change their behavior because people will identify with that community. And I think it's brilliant. And I think there's deep psychology behind what you're doing. And I think it's going to be really successful. Well, and, and I would say this, you know, a lot of people snidely remark, oh, how are you going to get those kids out of their mom's basement to come out and play esports at your place or whatever the case might be. And, you know, fine, people can be snide as much as they want. But generally speaking, I don't care if you're in gaming or RPG or magic or whatever it is, humans are inherently social creatures. And I do believe that if you create a social space for people, that they will gather there. But it has to be re repetitive. You have to stick it out. You can't try it two, three times and say, oh, heck, we only had five people show up. This sucks. So we believe that you, you stick to it. And, and our fighting games Friday night, 
you know, all these people come and spend their Friday night with us, which is pretty awesome. And it just keeps growing. So we're feeling very positive about that. You know, in our community, Tuesday nights are the $5 movie night. And that has gotten so big that I don't ever go to the movie on Tuesday nights because there's just too many people there. Wow. And so we were able to build, you know, you know, this is the multiplex, right? They got 20 screens and this place is full. So I think by establishing a regular night of something that people enjoy, you can be successful. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So um, like, dude, this could go on for hours, as you know, but I'm going to have to end it because I'm already over time. I want to thank you so much, Steve, not only for joining this week, but for all of the information that you share freely with the community, you know, especially via LinkedIn. So guys, if you're not following Steve Grubbs on LinkedIn, you're crazy. And, uh, you know, he shares some of the most amazing, he did a blog post on the six things he learned in esports, which has become something that I share with people all the time. You know, so follow him on LinkedIn. Where are you going to be going next? Any any speaking engagements? We got you out on the speaking tour now. When when are we going to see you next? So um, I will be at ISTE, which is the big school technology show at the end of the month. We are in the Microsoft booth, the Best Buy booth, the Acer booth, and the Carolina Biological booth. So you can find us all over there. How do you, and then how do you spell uh, that for those that don't know? How- yeah, I S is in Sam, T is in Tom, E, I S T E in Philadelphia. And then after that, I think I have July off and um, I'm not sure what's happening after that, but it's a pretty full fall schedule. So we would love to have you. And then the other thing I was going to say is thank you for the Facebook group you created for uh, LBE owners. That's, and I, I know that's probably mostly this group, but that has been so valuable. I share so many things off there with guys on my team. I really appreciate that. And it's become self-sustaining now. It's been great. It took a while to get it off the ground. And and speaking, of, I almost gave up on that about a year ago, to be honest with you. Talk about sticking through it because it was really hard to get people to engage. And I felt like I was pushing on a string and I'm like, maybe this isn't right. And I just said, I'm going to keep pushing through it. And we got to a point of critical mass. So yeah, if you're not already in the group, I'm sure you are, but you can get ahead and join. The other thing I want to just say is I've uh, recently started blogging on a weekly basis. And so if you're not subscribed to the blog, go ahead and subscribe there. Radical insights, deep thinking. I'm going to pull a lot out of this and pick your brain a little bit more, Steve, about some of the stuff that you're learning. And I got to get Davenport up on my agenda and and get up there this summer before it gets cold. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for everything that you do. And um, thank you everybody for joining again. Don't forget to share this with your friends. And we'll see you next week with somebody, a special guest. I don't even know who it is because, once again, I didn't prepare because it's 5 a.m. But we'll see you in the ether. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Bob. All right. Talk to you soon. That's the end of this interview. We hope you really enjoyed it. There's plenty more resources on Bob's website, which is www.bobcooney.com. Or you can find us on all the usual podcast places. We look forward to seeing you again.